Welcome to the Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show. And we're going to have a very interesting show this morning. It's taken me a long time to be able to connect with someone who's from a secret place that can't tell us a lot of information about a very, very important subject. And the names have been changed and so forth. But the person I'm speaking to is Whitney Miller. And she's the chief spokesman for Lantern Rescue. Now, Lantern Rescue is one of these real deal, true to the life, child trafficking, uh, or helping child trafficking, I should say, organizations. And um, Whitney Miller is the spokesman for this organization. It's rather recent in terms of how they all got together as an NGO, which she's going to explain. Mm -hmm. However, the people who are the principals behind it have been doing this for years. And they have uh, been exposed through certain military connections. We can't tell you their last names. Um, Whitney told me their first names, but I'm not sure the first names are even true uh, to hide the, the, the innocent. Uh, but the stories she's going to tell us are true. And we're most importantly of that we are interested in um, the um, things that God's doing. Because this is the Father's Heart talk show, and we want our audience to learn what God the Father is doing to help these children and to take the lid off and expose, and reveal uh, all the things that are happening, or so many of the things that are happening that's evil that's been going around the world. And this has been going on for far too long. And God the Father is putting a stop to it. And Amen. Lantern Rescue is one of the organizations that God's moving through to put a stop to child traffic around the world. So with that in mind, I introduce you to Whitney. And Whitney, as Chief Spokesman for Lantern Rescue, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, first of all, and okay. how you got involved with Lantern Research and uh, explain to us a little bit of the background of Lantern Research. Absolutely. Hey, Tom. So thank you for saying that. And you're right. We are going to point all arrows back to the Lord um, because some of the conversation that we'll have during this podcast is going to be difficult and it's going to unveil a lot of the evil that is at hand in the world around us. But at the end of it, I hope everyone takes heart and is encouraged to know that there are still good people fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. So um, I do just want to start with that. Um, yes, yeah, so I am Whitney, and I do work with Lantern Rescue. Um, I began working with Lantern Rescue volunteering, actually, um, while I was still teaching. So um, the Lord was prompting my heart to walk into this full time, but it was it was a hard to leave um, the the classroom for me. So, but I did. I was a teacher for seven years in high school, and that really cultivated um, truly my heart for just people in general, especially the youth. Um, I know they face an absolute just identity crisis, truly. And that self-worth and value is such a hard thing for them to understand with the world just kind of beating them up on what they should look like, what they should say, what they shouldn't do, what they should do. Um, and to follow Christ in the midst of all of that is extremely difficult these days. Um, so it cultivated my heart to, to see people know their worth and their value. Mm -hmm. So um, I enjoyed my time teaching it was life altering for me um, and my walk in, in with the Lord. So, um, but it ended up cultivating a desire to, to want to do more. Um, my first exposure actually to trafficking was with a student that I had had uh, my first year teaching and she had actually told me a story about her mom dropping her off at a um, addict's house 
to pay for as payment for her drugs when she was two years old. Wow. And, um, and, you know, honestly, when she told me that as a first year teacher, uh, I had, I, I didn't, I didn't even know what the term really child trafficking was at that point. Um, I wasn't familiar and understanding all of that and how it worked. So I just kind of looked at it as a, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened to you kind of situation, you know, um, without knowing that there was a title for it even, or that it was a thing that was happening to more people. It was a very, it was a, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I'm actually still in contact with that student today, um, just in mentoring and encouraging her along the way. Needless How to say, old was her, she when she told you this? So she was a junior in high school. And I honestly think it was probably the first time she had re really ever opened up safe space to say anything about it. Um, well, it says a know. lot that she felt comfortable in opening up to you as a teacher. Well, I tried to cultivate that in my classroom. You know, those, those kids, they spend, they spend from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day in a classroom setting. I mean, and I'll say it, our teachers are on the front line of even this fight as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not cultivating a safe place for those kids in your classroom, I would encourage you to maybe seek a different sure. <laughs> profession. Was this a they, public school or a private school? Yeah, it was a public school. Public school. Okay. Yeah. I was so very this, fortunate. Yeah. This young lady who was a young woman, girl, who was 16, mm -hmm. 17 years old, junior in high school, felt mm -hmm. comfortable enough to share her heart with you. She could entrust you with her heart to be able to open up and say that to her. So what happened when you found out about this girl? What was the next step that happened that brought you to Lantern Rescue from there? Yeah, so, you know, fast forward about seven, six, seven years. Um, I, you know, I had known one of the co-founders to this organization. Um, he's a, he was a, a friend of our family. So, um, we kind of were aware of what he was working on, but didn't really fully understand, you know, the capacity in which he was doing all of these things. Um, but he asked if I would be willing to help on the marketing and donor relations. Um, I enjoy, I enjoy people in general. I just love people, mm -hmm. um, all people, you know, and it's just my heart, I guess, for, for people, the Lord has cultivated that within me. And so um, he knew that I would enjoy speaking to different donors and people that wanted to learn more about Lantern. Um, and so he had asked if I would uh, volunteer some of my time, because at that time we were very small. Um, it was three people, if you will, not even on staff. We were all volunteers. So we all came into this just as volunteers. Um, what year and, was this? Um, 2021. Mm -hmm. So it's fairly so recently that this came together. Mm -hmm. Did the organization come together as an NGO? We came together as an NGO in 2020. 2020. So at the end of 2020, and so 2021, I think they, the two founders realized, hey, we can't do all of this alone. You know, um, we got to be able to handle the tactical in other country part of it. And we need to be able to be stable here to run an NGO. Um, and so they knew they can't do it all. And, and they were just... Um, they were really great about bringing in people that had a heart cultivated for the mission, not necessarily the prettiest or most perfect resume or, you know, I mean, we just, God literally, he lined every single one of us up to be here. It's crazy. The story for each one of us coming into Lantern, coming into the fold. So how many people in your organization now? Uh, we currently have six on staff on the administrative side, mm -hmm. um, handling 
all things from HR to writing the, the stories to social media, all of it. Um, operationally, we have probably hmm, eight total um, like operators spread out across the world. Mm -hmm. so, so the funding that comes in funds the eight operators? It funds our staff and the operators, but even most, so I say our operators, a lot of our operators are still volunteering their time. So um, they're not- so In a moment, I'm gonna ask you a question about um, right. the first uh, operation you became aware of uh, overseas mm -hmm. and the impact that that had on uh, our, even our own border. So mm -hmm. um, we understand how <clears throat> the organization uh, and we'll give an opportunity to audience for you to let them know where your website is and yeah. how they can donate and so forth at the end of our conversation. Um, but uh, at this point, it's something that uh, we uh, are very much in support of what you're doing and what God's doing through you. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other things that more than the money that's involved in this is the, the labor of love that's setting these people free. So thank you, and I'll be back with in a moment. Top of top. Here we are again with Whitney, Whitney Miller. And uh, we have a question for Whitney. It's our organization, Lantern Rescue. Whitney, share with our audience one of the stories, at least one, maybe several, of yeah. the actual experiences that you became aware of uh, from your position of what, what at least one of the operators has done overseas to free children up you know we've been listening to uh, many people in our audience will probably watch sound of freedom which is the movie that came out about tim ballard and your organization is almost a parallel to that I, I, as i understand it so can you share with the audience without revealing too many details or sure. possibly names but certainly the the truth right. of who the characters were and what actually happened yeah Where yeah I, absolutely tom i will share you know one of the one of the first um, operations that really, I think it just hit my heart at a different level um, was one that we had come into in our Caribbean area. And this was shortly after really just taking this on as a full-time um, job. But, you know, we had gone in on, a, based on information that we had about two girls, two young girls being held um, captive as sex slaves and um, they were held in sex trafficking. And we had gotten information about these two girls, where their whereabouts were, uh, you know, and I'll preface in a moment how we, we gather those types of things and what we do in country. Um, I'll share a little bit more about that. But when we went to go in to get these two girls, um, we also came into an 18 month old baby. Um, and we were not, we, we had no intelligence about that child being there. Um, that child was the child of one of those girls, of a 14-year-old girl that was being held as in sex trafficking. And I remember um, our operators sending the pictures and information back to us about what they had seen and what they what had gone on there. And to not expect to see that. Um, and this, let me let me paint the picture for your audience. We go in to rescue these two girls, young girls. And we go in, there is another room in this facility. And in this, this facility is an 18 month old baby laying on a bed with a mosquito net around it. That's it. 
and in front of this this room, it's like hotel, we'll call it kind of like a hotel room, um, but much more rundown. It's in a, a third world country, so um, definitely a different look. But there was a gentleman that stood outside of that door, and for whatever the cost, someone could go in and do whatever they wanted to to that child. To the 18-month-old? 18-month-old baby. So, yeah, that one hit me a little bit different. I'm a mom. I have two boys. This little child who is the, the, the epitome of innocence to know that that had the atrocities that had taken place to that child um, was heart-wrenching to think that. I Let mean, me it's understand, one of, for clarity purposes, uh, the two girls they went in to save yes. were around 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So these, I'm assuming these girls are not married. They, oh, no. As a result of the sex that they had had, with one yeah. of the people that was abusing the 14-year-old, they ended up having a baby. Is that correct? Yeah. And yes. this little baby, born, I'm assuming, out of wedlock, there's no, there's no mom and no dad, no, no. no family to raise this 18-month-old child, but the, the child traffickers took the baby that was born of the 14-year-old and offered her up for these people. See, I, I, it's just something turns my stomach where I cannot understand uh, the desire on a part of a man, particularly, I can't think as a woman, I think from a part of a man, why would they want to have sex with a child? I just, it just, I have six kids, 15 grandchildren. I just, I can't handle it. It's because we're not supposed to be able to. I can't handle the thought of what that was like. And I don't know the motivation. I, I cannot see anything sexual in it. It is so perverse to me. And, and so like beyond my mind to be able to, to cope with it. And it's not only the evil of the people doing that, but how sick and how perverted it was. What's their life like? What's going on in their mind that would motivate them to do that? See, that's, that's something that also escapes me. So, well, I think that speaks to the spiritual warfare at hand in all of it as well, mm-hmm. to be totally honest. Um, and you see more of that as we continue in this. Um, it, there's not, we're not supposed to be able to comprehend it because it's, it was never intended to be that. A child should have been innocent until they were, you know, they chose to make that, 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 that decision, right? So what happened? What, what happened with this 18-year-old, 18-month-old child and the, the two 14-year-old girls? So they were rescued and put into an aftercare. But I will say, and in those situations... So what people often don't understand is there is like a four, a first 72 hour care that has to happen, right? And so that means there's gotta be medical care for this child, you can imagine. Um, the, because of the extent of abuse that this baby had endured. Um, honestly, I don't, I think we were all concerned if the child would, would be able to make it um, because their insides were so torn up. Um, and so it required a lot of uh, medical attention initially and ongoing um, medical attention. We don't ever just leave something as is, right? It's not, we're not an organization that goes, kicks in the door, says, all right, we got the people out, see you later. You know, it's not, that's not who we are at the heart. Um, and I don't think that's who Jesus calls anyone to be either. You know, I think there's there's a continuing relationship and, and encouragement that has to occur there. So we did place them in aftercare, um, a safe house aftercare, after they received medical attention and ongoing medical treatment. That medical treatment is still taking place now, and we are two years out from that particular case. Mm-hmm. 
So um, it's definitely, it's a process. And there is healing that has to occur that is so much more than physical, right? The physical rescue is really only the beginning mm -hmm. for the kids and, and women and children that we rescue. It's just the beginning. There's got to be a, a spiritual healing that occurs, you know, and that takes time. And then the um, emotional healing. I mean, the, their souls have been so damaged. Their yeah. bodies have been damaged. Their souls have been damaged. Their spirits are dead. You know, it's, it's everything has to come alive on all three different levels. That when you uh, free these uh, children up, do you take them out of the Caribbean? You take them out of the third world country, or do you you yeah. have to operate within the the country itself? Typically, we operate within the country itself. The resources, you know, at that point we have. We have created a network of vetted, very highly vetted organizations to work with. Um, so for aftercare, we are not an aftercare organization. Mm -hmm. uh, we just don't have that kind of capacity. Although I think we've talked, you know, long-term, that is in our long-term plan to some extent, because we recognize if we keep moving at this pace, we're going to have to have something in play uh, just in a bigger way. But we are not, a, not an aftercare. And so because of that, we have to ha vet out and deeply vet out because we're talking about another country, you know, and, mm -hmm. and everywhere around the world is corrupt in its own way, right? So um, that requires a lot of vetting to ensure that the aftercare is, is suitable and is able to um, just not just focus on the physical healing, but the spiritual healing as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is where they kind of move into, they transition into that. Now, those typically are within that country, but in certain situations where we are rescuing people that have been brought in from other countries, ideally, we would love to reunite these kids with their families. That's the number one goal sure. and objective. So when that is possible and when the family, after the family has been, again, vetted, right? Because we want to make sure that this wasn't a situation where, um, the parents placed their children into this and it's going to, we don't sure. want it to reoccur, right? Exactly. How do you prevent so, the child traffickers from going back after you rescued them and taking them back in again? So that is, so that's the other part about how we do things differently um, than a lot of other organizations. And I don't mean that to put anybody down. I just don't know that it's been, it, it requires a lot of work to go in and do this and do it right. Um, and not just create a bigger gap in the system. So for us, building those relationships in those countries starts with um, sometimes the highest level of governments in that country. Now it requires, again, a lot of vetting um, to make sure you're getting the right people to talk to that have the heart for what we're doing. Um, and then it, it, it build, building out those relationships cultivates um, a desire to see change in their country, you know? And so finding the right people when it comes to um, training in those countries. So usually they're law enforcement. We, our, our guys partner alongside of them and train them in the areas that they're inadequate or just don't have the capabilities to train in. Um, so training them and getting them prepared is very helpful because it begins to build a structure that says, hey, we're here to help you, right? And we want things to be occurring even when we're not there. We want you to be able to rescue people, whether we're in country with you or not. You know, We wanna be that resource. Um, and doing that allows us to even further build investigations because we're working with their police force. So we build out investigations so that these bad guys are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law in that country. Um, we can't, that, that piece is so vital because what happens is if we don't do that, if we just go in, rescue some people out of the situation and move on to the next, we create a gap. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like 
if you were to take a drug dealer's stash away from them, they're not going to stop selling drugs. Sure. This is what they do for a That's living. That's the question. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? And so now, unfortunately, we're talking about a commodity that that is people. So you're taking a person out of a situation only for them to be replaced by another person if you don't do the prosecution piece, if you don't handle the bad guy, right? We can't ignore that piece, um, you know? And, and so that piece is a huge, that's our driving force. And it requires time, you know? We, we had a case in 2022 where we rescued 83 girls um, out of uh, the Caribbean. And it took us eight months of investigation why? Because we didn't want to act on just the first person we got a hold of, mainly because we knew this was a network, right? This is a network of bad guys. It's not just one person with 83 girls. We hit 14 different places in order to get 83 girls, but it took eight months. I was going to bring up my question before. You know, you, you're saving somebody, these two particular girls, an 18-month-old baby, but yeah. what are you doing further upstream to stop this from happening You know, again and again? Not just with them, but also with other people. So uh, when we get back, this, uh, uh, I'll ask you this question so you can think about it. Um, what is going on through Lantern Re Rescue that will uh, go upstream and mm -hmm. set up the processes in place to hold these people accountable who are doing this activity and stopping it there and I want to lead on another question, which is a corollary to that question, is I have very little confidence in government organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think so many government, even our own country is corrupt. And the corruption within the government organization in the United States and the corruption in the organizations in these third world countries are very similar to each other. There are corrupt people in governmental positions Absolutely. that are colluding with these traffickers. So when we get back, let me ask you that question, Whitney, and you give a, a few moments to think about. Take care. We are back with Whitney Miller, and we're asking the question, uh, what is Lantern Rescue doing upstream mm -hmm. to prevent the flow of uh, children going into child trafficking from these bad actors, uh, these really bad people are doing it, and then further asking the question, how are they getting to the root of it through governmental systems that are also corrupt, or at least there are certain people in the governments uh, mm -hmm. of, this, of these different countries, as well as my personal belief is our own country, is uh, there's corruption involved with child trafficking. So mm -hmm. uh, with that in mind, uh, that question, Whitney, how would you answer that? Yeah. Well, you know, they put me on the spot. No, um, <laughs> no, truthfully, I think it's, it's really a two part thing. That is why we are so adamant on the prosecution piece, ensuring that prosecution occurs um, in these different countries, you know, um, because that's what has to happen in order to, to get these bad guys put away. You know, um, that's that has taken time because every government works a little different. Their jurisdictions are, you know, a little different. How they handle these types of cases are a little bit different, but so much of that comes from a lack of understanding and awareness, even in their part. So that's really kind of where we come in on a lot of fronts and say, you know, hey, not only, don't, only, don't just let us train your police force, let us sit down with your prosecutors and let's share with them the reality of what's actually happening. Now, to the point of, um, 
you know, of, of people being corrupt. I will say every government, like you said, there is a level of corruption, right? Um, or there are people that are corrupt, but there are also people that are not. And I think that is where we have to make sure, because we can, you know, even biblically, we can't plan with evil in mind, right? Wow. That we can't, we can't box God into the idea of there are evil people. What we have to do is say, Lord, I need you. We need you to direct this path. We need you to give us the right people. And he's been faithful. I wish I could give you this grand idea of how we do it. But the truth of the matter is God has just laid out people, even in these other countries that, it, that are just faithful to see his children, not be in these situations. So you're and saying to me, God has his people all over the world. He does. And really, he's leading you to find who these people are that are helping, working for the white hats, so to speak, for the yeah. good guys are out there to put away the bad guys. This is really what's, what's going on. So it you're is. actually experiencing through uh, real life experiences how good people are taking a stand and Absolutely. fighting against evil. Absolutely. And I think it's really easy for us to be over inundated and overwhelmed by the evil that is at hand. Right. Um, and that we see. And, you know, I mean, you can turn on any news source or media or whatever, whatever you do and don't believe out of all of that, you know, and you're going to see the worst of the worst. But I think we we give Satan too much credit sometimes. Right. Because mm -hmm. God has put his people in play. Mm -hmm. Right. And he is rising them up. And we get to see it day in and day out. And I know that's probably not the answer that every listener is looking for, right? Sometimes we want to hold on to that idea. Okay, well, there are bad people. There are bad people. Undoubtedly, there are bad people. There are corrupt individuals in every area that we work. But there are also good, godly people that just need to be reminded they're not alone in this mm -hmm. fight. Yeah, Scripture tells us that where there's darkness... The light will overpower the darkness every time. Amen. And so you're really shining the light. That's why I find it very interesting that you named your organization Lantern. Lantern Rescue. And I have a picture in my mind of somebody carrying a lantern through the darkness. Right. Yes. And where the lantern is. It reminds me of the Underground Railroad in the slavery times in the Civil War. That the lanterns, the Underground Railroad brought these slaves out of, uh, um, out of the South and back into the North. It was a interesting thing about the Underground Railroad, you're actually creating an Underground Railroad. It may not be underground, but it's it's a railroad of bringing people and setting these children free. And the people leading them, I think you gave me the names Mark and Wren. Actually, I'm not sure of the actual names, but we don't know what their <laughs> last names are. But whoever the founders are of Lantern Rescue very much are bringing the light. They are light bearers. And that's what the symbolism of the Lantern Rescue does for the people that are there. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. The right. light will always overcome the darkness. And Absolutely. just looking for more and more and more people to take a stand and stand up against the darkness. Absolutely. You know, in our own country, as you know, uh, there's, there's so many streams of evil that have perpetuated themselves and have power, people in people's power and control, people interested in power and control. I felt mm -hmm. the whole thing with the the Jeffrey Epstein thing in the United States was, was a place where people were um, being brought in for sexual purposes. I'm not sure, child trafficking? Might have been some child trafficking. I think the girls were maybe a little bit older. But it, the whole purpose was to control those people's lives and get things on them. 
and uh, I think uh, Jeffrey Epstein was the stand-in, or or a uh, I don't stand-in, not probably not wired, but somebody who was being used by people in powerful positions to um, enslave or exercise authority and power over uh, presidents and people and royalty and and all the powerful people in the country were invited to Jeffrey and I, uh, Epstein's island to get three different places. One was in the Caribbean, actually. Another mm-hmm. place was in New York City, and a third place was in New Mexico. Whoever the places were, the intention behind it was always evil, and it was always trying to get something on somebody mm-hmm. and using sexual pleasure as a means to... Uh, the end game was to take pictures of it and basically blackmail people. Blackmail mm-hmm. and extort powerful people through what they did with him. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's an age-old thing. I mean, it's been going on for, for centuries, I'm sure, thousands of years. It's being used. It just seems like in this day and age, it's reached a level of um, epic proportions. I mean, it's, I want to say biblical proportions. It's, it's just shocking how much it has been, been uh, manipulated in our lives and how the good average, well, average is probably not the word, right word, but the, the basic human beings in America are good people. I don't even look at them to say if they're necessarily Christian or not. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that they have a basic Judeo-Christian understanding of what the Bible is. Represent. They have a conscience. They have a right. conscience and a belief in God uh, or a belief that in what is right and true, and they want to live their lives that way. And yet there are elements of evil that are trying to and have been actually to a certain degree successful in manipulating people's lives and trying to control people's lives in every possible way they can. And child trafficking is one of the, I think, um, cart ways that they use, that they do this. Um, do you have any thoughts about our own border and how a lot of your activities are extraterritorial outside the United States? I think all of them are extraterritorial but some of them are touching upon our border between um, the Caribbean and South America, maybe even Central America, and how some of those activities that are in those foreign countries uh, to the south of the United States are actually brought in for the, the Mexican border through the United States. So could you comment to our audience about what you know about some of those things? Yeah, you know, um, well, and it's really, I'll say, I'll kind of focus on two different things. One is, you know, in a lot of these other countries that we work and operate, we operate in 19 different countries overall across what we do. But specifically regarding trafficking, we work in about 11. Um, And in at least half of those, we are, um, we run border stops in those countries. Um, Because we recognize, just like, you know, at our own borders, we recognize that if there's a bad guy trying to do a bad thing to someone from a country, the best way to get out of harm's way for them is to go somewhere else, right? Um, they're less likely to find these people. You know, that the operation with the 83 girls, they were spread out across 12 different countries. You know, I mean, these girls had come in from 12 different countries. That's crazy to consider that they were all gathered in one spot. So, so clearly, the any open border is a problem, right? There's a there's a concern there. No matter where you are in the world, an open border is a concern because anywhere you have a vulnerable position, there are bad people looking to exploit that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, to that point, I do think that there, you know, there should we should be concerned, right? And even further in our some of our Caribbean and Central America um, 
South America operations, you know, that is, we see a lot of um, people that are coerced with the idea of um, being able to, to move into another country, right? And even in some cases, um, being, being told or bought the idea that they'll be able to move into the U.S., right? So that immigration piece, um, and then they're actually not. They're sent to another country into work and slave labor or sex trafficking, right? Or both. A lot of times we see a, a, an overlap. You know, sex trafficking tends to be a heavy undertone um, of every type of trafficking. There's lots of different types of trafficking, Um so, but we do see that, you know, so, so there is clearly a concern. Um, and so part of what we're doing to, to kind of keep that at bay, and I tell a lot of people, if we can just go ahead and chop the head of the snake off, we don't have to end up worry about where the snake ends up, right? And so working in these other countries is kind of allowing us to get, to get ahead of some of these snakes, right? Um, before it even becomes a bigger issue. Uh, I've, I've often seen the connection between drug trafficking and mm. human trafficking, and yes. specifically under human trafficking, it's become more prevalent to be child trafficking. So yes. the drug trafficking and the child trafficking seem to go hand in hand with each other. In fact, that they doesn't do. surprise me that they drug the children to begin with, uh, right. and the traffickers, it's, it's the same business, even if it's a different commodity. If right. the commodity is drugs, or the, drug, is, the commodity is uh, sex with children, if that's the commodity, the same people and the same processes are employed. So it's not—it's a crossover. You can't—you um, can, I think, uh, intuit that the same people that are involved in one are involved in the other. So they—they go hand in hand with each other. And whenever there's weaknesses in law enforcement, you know, we're living in a world where lawlessness has become widespread, and yeah. people that are in positions of power and authority are not exercising uh, law and order. And yet that's uh, the people who should be holding other people accountable are not holding them accountable because they don't want to hold them accountable because they're involved to begin with. And that's that's a sad state of affairs, but I really am trusting that God's going to move miraculously in the United States to bring to a conclusion, uh, bring to a, um, a, what I would call a successful end to the people who are running not only the United States, but all the other uh, nations uh, who are um, involved in these types of activities. Because they're eroding the entire family, culture, the social structures of all the nations are being broken down. So uh, when we get back, I'm going to ask you some more questions uh, having to do with uh, another experience that you may have had with uh, a successful operation to stop this child trafficking at the head because you mentioned cutting off the head of the snake. So I want to pursue that with you. Uh, what was it like to, head up, to cut off the head of the snake? It doesn't matter what happens to the rest of the body of the snake. So we'll be back in another moment with Whitney Miller. We are back with Whitney Miller. And we want to ask a question of Whitney about some of the understanding experiences she's had with those 83 uh, young people that were saved uh, by one of their larger operations of Lantern Rescue. Uh, they come in all different sizes and shapes and all different ages. They do. 
So when you share with our audience some of the experience that you have heard and you have had with uh, these people that were, were freed up. Absolutely. So, you know, that, that particular case, it's um, Operation Kautilea is the name of it. Um, it, it was very different for us because, you know, you know, and you addressed it earlier, there are a lot of children in trafficking. However, if we're looking at the numbers, 40% um, of those that are in trafficking are children. So it still leaves a whole other 60% that are not under the age of 18, right? Um, and in this particular situation, we, um, we had 83 girls ranging from 17 to 30. That's a little different than what we look at trafficking as. And I think it's important to see that because if we don't see the whole picture, then we miss things um, later down the road. So with these 83 girls, they actually, majority of them were university students um, and they had been solicited in order to pay off their, their debt for going to school. And so these bad guys had, uh, the, they had really um, narrowed their focus in on females that either had um, single parent homes or were, were young parents themselves. So in this situation, some of these girls had children back home. Um, they were lured in with promises of work in a Caribbean country. Um, and, and they would be able to work for two months or two weeks and it would help pay off their their loan right so they had to pay these people initially to get down there or work off the payment for these people to bring them into this caribbean country to to work now their understanding of work was obviously not to be um sex trafficked right and so they lured them in with this with this idea that they'd be able to make a lot of money um, working at different restaurants and different um, things and even one of them even told them that they could um, they would have an escort job right but an escort like we think it is not the same as they had considered it um, you know she they played on the idea of, of right what they see on social media so you get to be somebody's arm candy but nothing more you don't go any further than that you have there's no pressure to do anything right well when they got into this other country all of their documentation was taken away the, they had um, issued them fake return plane tickets um, so that they thought they were going to be able to go back home, taken all that away, locked in hotel rooms, and made to sleep with 15 men a night. Hmm. Some of these girls had been in it for six months by the time we got to them. 15 men a night for six months and now has um, cervical cysts because of just the, the abuse that had taken that had gone on at that time. One of them is actually battling cancer, cervical cancer now uh, because of it. Um, so it is. it was a different case. And when we got to that one, I think we were all just kind of floored because these were girls that were going to the universities to be law enforcement, to be nurses, to be, um, you know, educators, right? So they were not they were not your typical vulnerable population of people aside from the fact they were trying to pay off their student loans. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's an important one to consider and think about because we don't always see trafficking. You know, we don't see that piece of trafficking. I think we're, we're very sold on the idea of it's young children because it plays on the heart, but we can't forget about these girls and these women that are in this situation. One of them, when we got to her, she was still lactating because she was a breastfeeding mother when she left to, to hopefully make a better way for her child and come back and return with money. Mm -hmm. So I remember her statement 
because it impacted me as a mother. And we were, you know, just listening to her. She, um, she didn't even want, she didn't want to go home and see her child because she never wanted her child to know what she had gone through. She was so ashamed that she said she would rather die than go home mm-hmm. as a mother of a two month old. Yeah. That's, that's hard to take. Um, you know, if you use, use the word shame, it's something that uh, really plays itself on people's souls. You know, mm-hmm. that they're ashamed of what they did, and yet it was something that they didn't do voluntarily. They were forced into it. Um, yeah. Now, most of these countries that you're mentioning were Caribbean or South American, so I'm assuming they were Hispanic in background. Is that correct? A good portion of them, yeah. A good portion yeah. of them was. Um, and, uh, you know, how does that play into that culture? In other words, when they, with shame plays into their, their culture down there for where they come from. I mean, you know, it, it plays similar to here, right? Um, it's that same idea, you know, they, no one wants to be known for something like that or, or share. We don't, as, as people, we don't want to share our vulnerabilities. We don't just want to share where um, we gave in to, to something that um, was ill-intended for us. It's it, that shame just, it carries heavy. It weighs heavy, you know? Um, and especially even in that culture, right? There's that idea behind it that, um, you know, people, people want to label, people want to label, what a sad thing they want, you know, that's why we're in the identity crisis we're in to be totally honest, because we're, we're so concerned and consumed with who we know, who we are, not whose we are. Right. Um, so that shame plays into it, right? That's one more title to take on. And with that comes people claiming their own terms or titles to you as you know, I'm sure these girls dealt with the, the shame of, of, you know, being told that they were a whore or, you know, I mean, like those, those are the mean things that people do when they don't understand what's Mm -hmm. gone on. Um, you know, so that piece, that shame piece, what an incredible tool that Satan has cultivated in that to make us think that we are not worthy or good enough, you know, and that is something that we have to continue to address. You know, we still are in contact with these girls. One of them has actually just opened up a salon. That was her dream. Thank God the enemy did not steal her hope from her. He tried. He tried really hard, but she was able to open up a salon and we got to be a part of that. We got to you know, some of our staff was able to go in and be at the opening of her salon, you know? So, sure. so the enemy seeks to steal their hope because if he can steal their hope, then he can lay claims to their dream. And you mentioned before, about, yes, he's trying to steal their hope. Everything he does is try to separate people from the love of God, the father. Absolutely. And they don't know God's love for them. If they think they're full of shame, God couldn't possibly love me. That's a disconnect there. They, they, they can't accept that God could possibly love them for what they did. And then you cannot find out who you are unless you mm-hmm. find out who God is. It's Absolutely. only through finding out who God is that you can find out who you are. And mm-hmm. uh, people run away from God. And that's a lie of the enemy to uh, incentivize them, to motivate them to run away from God because of all the things they would, that they did, God couldn't possibly love them. Their two-year-old daughter couldn't. Two-month-old daughter couldn't love them, and their family couldn't love them, and all these other because of what you did, and yet they were entrapped into it. I know, even if they were willing, even if some people had different lives, and were willing to get involved in prostitution and stuff like that, God can. It doesn't matter what you did. God can still love you. It's 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 whether you willingly did it, we didn't willingly do it. 
It doesn't matter to him. He wants people to understand that he loves them. He wants the connection with them. And the enemy yes. does everything he can to disconnect people from the love of God the Father. And that God is moving through his people to connect people back to him. That's why we're doing the show, the Hollis Heart Talk Show. It's to bring out the love of God the Father to all people, a, a desire to protect them, a, God, a desire to provide for them, a desire yes. to mentor them in the things of life. And that's where his word comes in. All yeah. of that is desired to connect it back to him. And that's where the um, world is, the end of the age that we're approaching is mm -hmm. an apocalyptic world where it's going to, things are going to be exposed as we, we were doing right now and have happened. The lid's going to be taken off. That's what the word apocalypse means, to take the lid off. Mm -hmm. Exposing what is evil, but not just exposing it and let it sit there, it's to overcome the evil with yes. the love that God the Father has. It's that yes. overcoming of the evil, overcoming of the darkness, that once people have experienced the bad, they're, they're likely, once they see what is good, once they're touched with the love of God, they'll never let it go. Amen. It's, it's that thing that you can't exist in an in-between state. You either got to really uh, either run away from, hate God or love him. You know, it's just, you got to one one place or the other. There's nothing in the middle anymore. You can't exist in a world in in the middle somewhere. Um, and even when people want in the United States want to go back to the way it was, we can never go back to where yeah. we were. You know, since the time of COVID, there's a major change in the history of the world. Fear came across the world, across the countries, of all the countries of the nation, and it's a time to draw God louder to happen to draw people back to him. And that's, um, you know, where we are right now. So, yeah, there's different people with different ages. The younger ones, I can think of the most sensitive to. The older ones, 17 to 30, are still young young women. Um, yeah. Uh, do you ever find pedophilia involved with young boys in the stuff that you do? You know, and I, I wish we had more time to talk through this piece of it because domestically, as you're talking about the Epstein situation in my in my mind, you know, honestly, they don't need an island anymore, right? Because because sextortion is such a a big deal now. Um, and for those that don't know sex, what sextortion is, it is it is gathering those images, but they're targeting especially right now young boys. Hmm. There's an element, and this is the enemy, a hundred percent. But there's an element of pride that kind of comes along, especially in in young adolescent boys. Um, you know, because they're trying to figure out who they are and their masculinity and all of these things. And so sextortion is, is people that coerce them into sharing images, provocative images, and then they extort them because of those images. You know, we've, we've also seen an uptick in suicide rates in, in young boys because of it. Um, and that's a concern, right? So, so now we don't even have to have an island to send people off to. They can come right to our house through our, the technology that we've given our yeah. children to use. That's scary. You know, we, we gotta, that's, that is something to be addressed because there is that pedophilia piece, right? There is that component of evil that exists. That's why CSAM, child sexual abuse material, those images and videos are flooding the internet right now because it's, it's accessible and there are bad people that want to see it. Yep. You missed that word, child sexual abuse material, replacing yeah. child pornography. The, yeah. the misconception of child pornography is that they're willing to do it. Child sexual abuse material is you don't 
they weren't willing, they were forced into it. So we got to leave you right now. Uh, yes. Thank you very much, Whitney, for all you provided to us. And we pray mm -hmm. that our guests will